say c'est bon. Welcome to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm your host, Paige Donner. For the next half hour, I'll be presenting to you news, happenings, and personalities from Paris's extraordinary culinary world. So sit back and get ready to enjoy a full half hour of Paris Good Food and Wine. Like those French people do. Because it's all so good. Our show this episode is packed full of goodness. So much so that I have to keep our intro short and sweet. First up, we have Parisian Laurel Sanderson talking about her very own baking recipes. Yeah, there's science, there's alchemy, there's magic. Then, you're coming with us on a cheese tasting outing with Pierre Prisson. AOP cheese specialist and founder of Parole de Fromager. To round things out, Laurel turns the table and interviews me about my new Paris food and wine app, now out on Google Play and on the App Store. So sit back and relax and join us for another half hour episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. So I'm sitting at this gorgeous little cozy table with Laurel, who is, (laughs) yeah, I mean, you know, you're like baker extraordinaire, and now you've got your own place here since almost, I think, going on two years now, Treasure Baker's Dozen, which we'll get to in a moment. But first, I want you to, like, talk about or tell us how you got started being this fab baker here in Paris. Um, Well, I I actually started baking because I missed home. I didn't really know a lot about uh, making my own food until I got to France when I was 20, which was 21 years ago now. Um, And I started, basically I missed home and I was far too stubborn to go home. Um, And so I started baking to kind of recreate things that I missed about home. Um, I started off doing pie like making pie crust making that kind of thing and going with through recipes like family recipes and things that I'd seen my Nana do and things that I'd seen my mom do and then trying to do them and doing like failing and being crappy and then you know and then trying again and trying again and being like okay well now this doesn't work because the butter's this or this doesn't and I don't understand and it's really hard um, to make it work when you're work with but being persistent actually is one of the most important things I discovered about baking because the more you do it, the more you understand the ingredients, the more you understand how the recipe works, how, what the alchemy of, of this, these things kind of working together is and how to do it. So I started off, I guess, baking just for, for nostalgia, really, and... Um, I'm getting, I got really frustrated, and I remember talking to my sister, who at the time was running an inn in Charleston, and being like, okay, you sent me this muffin recipe, which is awesome, but I, I can't make them. Like, when I had them at your place, they were just, like, fluffy and delicious. And she's like, oh, yeah, but you just have to do it every day. You just have to keep trying. You just have to keep at it. That's what makes it good. She's like, my recipe works for me, but you need your own recipe to work for you because baking in the end is, you know, it's, there's certainly science involved and a recipe is a recipe is a recipe, but at the same time, 
there's so much kind of like, yeah, there's science, there's alchemy, there's magic. Um, it has to do with, with the, the, the ingredients that you're using, the, the, the moisture in the butter and the, the moisture in the room when you get the flour out, all of these crazy things that are going to really affect things. The way that you handle your whisk, the way that you handle cutting things in, all of these different things are going to affect the way that you do it. So baking in the end, it's a very personal thing, and that's one of the things that I, I really like about it. You know, every time I describe someone, this place, your place, Chez, a baker's dozen right here in the heart of Saint-Germain-des-Prés, uh, I say, you know, you walk in and, and instantly you smell the wonderful baking aromas of peach cobbler and other yummy things. Tell us some of the some of the favorite things that you love to bake. I mean, are, do you have some signature things? Well, I, um, I mean, we always, always have buttermilk biscuits. We have those all year round and I love making them. We make them every morning. We make them all over, like over the course of the day if we need to. Buttermilk biscuits are like the staple bread. Um, I guess where are at the table in my family so I do love making those but as the season changes the making pie making pie crust which is so magical when you really kind of get the hang of it and working with the fruit and the veg that we have here we're so I feel like we're so blessed um, in Paris just because we have access to all of this incredible incredible produce we just come into tomato season, and there's all of these crazy new kinds of tomato, marinda tomatoes and marandola tomatoes and rebellion tomatoes and all of these zebra tomatoes and all of these things that have, like, I can't wait to get a hold of and, and just try and see, like, how they're going to go with the different cheeses that we get from the cheese people. And tomato pie, I, I wait for tomato pie season all year. We're in it, full swing. I'm very psyched about tomato pie right now. I think one of the first times I spoke with you, you sort of pointed out to me one of the one of the magical tricks of tomato pie. Can you re, you know re, go over that again? Sure, sure, sure. Because a lot of because tomato pie essentially is crust and tomato cheese and some other little bits and pieces. But the thought immediately is like, okay, well, isn't that just a pizza? Like, well, no, actually, because tomatoes, the tomato, what you're working with when you're working, making a tomato pie is you want to get all the moisture out of the tomato and keep the flavor in the meat of the tomato. So you really want, you don't want a juicy tomato when you're making a tomato pie. You really want a relatively firm tomato. And luckily these days, there's so many incredible choices with so many incredible tomatoes that it's really not hard to find. So what, what we do is we take the tomatoes and we slice them and pull out all the seeds and then we put them between two kitchen cloths and take out and, and put in salt and salt and herbs and all kinds of other stuff um, and then roll them up in the kitchen towels. So like the moisture that was in the tomatoes goes away and the flavor that we've added is gonna just bring out the salt and the pepper and the basil and whatever else we put in is gonna just bring out the natural taste of the tomato. So it's really, really, it's like a super meaty experience that you have with the tomato. It's, all, it's, it's just delicious. So that, yeah. Plus pimento cheese, I mean, how can you go wrong? So. I would say then, so buttermilk biscuits, tomato pie, these are two signatures. Well, yeah, and then there's like, Peach cobbler, that's exciting. That's gonna happen really soon. Peach season's coming up. Obviously, you can make pie with any of these things, but also they lend themselves to cake, they lend themselves to muffins, they lend themselves to everything, which is so nice. Yeah, well, you know, and then, so that, that kind of leads us to, um, 
you're, you created this fabulous little space like uh, that I alluded to you know, a moment ago. Yeah, Trez, a baker's dozen here in this beautiful little tucked away courtyard, though people seem to find it. Just t- tell us, you know, tell us a couple words about, you know, this space that you created and why everybody must come here. <laughs> the space itself, I, I really love. And I think that there's something that, like the bones of the space are really, really good. Like before we even got here, when I got here, the space was derelict and it was just like kind of crying out for love, I think. And my whole kind of goal in starting this place was really just to create a place where I felt at home. I love, I love living abroad. I've been abroad for 21 years. I don't think I could actually live in South Carolina again. I, Paris really is my home, but in the end, I'm, I'm foreign. And being, being foreign and being an expat, is, it can be tiring. And it's nice to have a place where I just feel like I fit in. And I think that this place is great like that because we really do try to make sure that that, that comes across, that everybody feels at home here. It's the kind of the goal was to make it so that people would feel like they were sitting in our kitchens. Why we have the raised chairs and tables so that people can see into the kitchen and see their food being made because we're so, seems like today especially, we're so distanced from the people who are making our food. We're so uh, kind of, you, the kitchen will be cloistered away, especially the bakers are like cloistered away downstairs, often like a cold kitchen, and which, is, which itself is, is very kind of, uh, it's nice that the plates go and then you don't see them again and here it's really it's it's such a kick it's such immediate gratification because you get to send the plates out and watch people enjoying what they're eating which is I mean for on our end of things in the kitchen it's really incredible so and to be able to kind of exchange with people I just I think it's really important you know hospitality is the industry that we work in in the States. Restoration is what we call it in France. And it's very different um, because we are obviously restoring ourselves, but it's about really kind of taking care of people as well as feeding them. And I, that's what we try to do here. Well, that warmth clearly comes through, and, and I know that's why it's become an instant favorite of both the local community but and also the expat community and also visitors. So, yeah, you've really done a great job here, Laurel. <laughs> Thanks. We do have um, in the neighborhood... Our neighborhood friends are awesome. We love the, we have a lot of the creatives from a lot of the, a lot of the fashion houses come and eat here. Um, A lot of the people in the neighborhood that are kind of, this is like their canteen where they come and they have their lunch. Um, We do a lot of uh, the folks that are first timers in Europe and they need just a little break from being um, abroad, which is nice. That kind of, uh, that kind of thing or kids that have been living here for a long time. Uh, folks that have been like like you like me that have been here for a while and you know just need a little kind of a little thing um, and then yeah tourists obviously were like oh I heard I could get a buttermilk biscuit in here and there's a girl from South Carolina and um, and I just love that it's so awesome it's like going home without ever having to leave so just nice great well and tell us again the the, the name of your of your place because I think I've been saying it in in French and I didn't even mean to but well, it's called it's called a lot of things. Um, it's called Thirteen or Trez, uh, which is thirteen in French, and it's a baker's dozen. The reason it's called that is because thirteen is a baker's dozen, which is a long and complicated name. But I think that that whole idea, the idea of the baker's dozen, like giving a little bit more, really kind of pulls in the whole spirit of what we're trying to do here. So, thank you, Laurel. You're awesome, Paige. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to hearing your comments and feedback on our iTunes page. 
So, Pierre Brisson, we just finished a wonderful tasting with cheeses, and I'm going to let you actually introduce yourself and explain what you do, because you're an expert on French AOP cheeses. Yes. Um, alors, uh, I, I am Pierre Brisson. I, am, I live in Paris, uh, but I was actually uh, originally from the wine industry. I was uh, born and raised in a vineyard. We would produce Morgon wine which is actually one of the wine that you've tasted uh, earlier. And um, I specialized into cheese very early. I was fond of cheese since my early childhood, so I kind of naturally be became a cheese expert. But uh, uh, the idea of uh, what I do uh, at this moment in Paris is I organize a tasting. I do teaching as well for the Union of uh, Cheese Experts, which is kind of the occasion that we are here and there. So we promote cheese and we promote the arts of cheese, especially the appellation of origin protected, the AOP. And you know what, I'm, let, me, let me interrupt there for a moment because AOP is not necessary, for cheeses, is not necessarily something that maybe all of our listeners are familiar with. Uh, wines, I think a lot of people do understand AOC, AOP. Can you explain further about AOP cheese? Alors, um, it's a very uh, French and European uh, way of dealing with the traditional products, hein, which is actually culturally completely uh, different from the, the American cheese culture, uh, in a way. Basically, we have in France, uh, when we talk about raw milk uh, traditional uh, production, uh, about once, between 1,000 to 2,000 uh, different kind of cheese, if I include all the industrial cheeses. And among all those cheeses, only... Uh, 50 cheeses, cream and butter, so 45 cheeses and then uh, 5 uh, cream and butter have the protected appellation. So to basically if I want to have a, to create a new cheese and I want to have it to the protected appellation, I have to make the cheese to prove that the cheese is the real reflect of the terroir. Uh, what we call the terroir is the combination of the structure of the soil, the climate, the microclimate, the microclimate the uh, uh, sun exposure or the rain and the, the know-how of the maker and the whole thing makes just a unique product. Uh, so you have to prove that your cheese is the reflex of the terroir. Then you convince your, the, your colleagues to make the same cheese following the same rules. You wait for at least 60, uh, 60 years and then we can start to talk, <laughs> basically. So. There's deep roots. You know, actually, I wanted you to illustrate again because you, you did explain it to me a moment ago. But um, the cheese from Normandy, there's the Camembert de Normandy or there's the Camembert... Explain right. that. There is Camembert de Normandy, which is the protected cheese. Uh, it has to be made out of raw milk from the region of production. Uh, there is uh, rules of uh, making, including, for instance, you have to mold the curds in five time and between each molding of the curd you have to wait for 40 minutes so one molding 40 minutes another one and you need to do five times so it's time consuming so it's completely um, not uh, a good way for industrial cheeses to be produced it's a it's a kind of a way to protect cheese against uh, huge uh, massive production alors there is cheese, camembert cheese uh, made more industrially and those are more the camembert made in Normandy so the cheese uh, is not necessarily made out of raw milk so unpasteurized uh, not necessarily following the, the, the rules and the milk is not necessarily from Normandy from the Norman breed 
And on the label, it says what um, Fabrique, like Camembert Fabrique on Normandy. Is that what? Uh, no, you look for Camembert, may, uh, Camembert de Normandie. Camembert from Normandie, having the AOP label, okay. which is the red and orange, uh, the red and yellow uh, label. And the other one, the one that's more mass produced, is the is the Fabrique on Normandy. Exactly, exactly. Fabrique on Normandie. So it's true, it's Fabrique on Normandie. But uh, voilà, not necessarily a raw milk uh, from Norman breeds and milk milk from Normandy. Voilà. You know, and I know we've been talking now a lot about Normandy, and Camembert is one of the most famous French cheeses. Now, I'm not going to ask you to name all 45 cheeses, but can you just name a few of the regions that some of the AOP cheeses come from here in France? There is, if you look, that's very actually amazing how... Uh, specific uh, different kind of cheese could be depending on the geography if you this is very European actually all cheese culture has been built through the centuries depending on the environment that the cheesemaker had in front of them so when you see big cheeses like a Conte like a Beaufort those are mountain cheeses and when you see more flat country you have smaller cheeses like the Brie the Brie de Meaux Brie de Molin you know Brie is not protected so everyone can make Brie but the protected ones are Brie de Meaux Voilà. Uh, the camembert, the goat cheese from the Touraine region, from the Loire Valley, uh, etc., etc. So there is a few uh, regions which are very, very famous for cheese. You have the Auvergne region, uh, where the Saint-Nectaire, the Cantal, uh, the Salaire, uh, the Forme d'Ambert is from. You have the Savoie, the Rhône-Alpes region, where you have many goat cheese, uh, cow from mountains, from the Alps. Bourgogne is not only a wine region, it's also a famous uh, cheese region. Uh, and most of the time, the combination of the cheese and the wine from that region are quite good, as actually. Then you have the Ile-de-France, which is from the, the famous for the Brie, the Normandy also. Uh, voilà. The only region that is uh, not having a strong cheese culture is uh, Brittany, actually. Voilà. Even if it's nowadays, it's uh, one of the most biggest uh, producers of, uh, of cheese. Industrial cheeses. Interesting, right. interesting. Yeah, you know, and also you mentioned Burgundy, and one of the tastings that you had here today included the the three butters and the two creams, in addition to the forty five cheeses. And one of those creams, the creme de Bresse from Burgundy, it's just so creamy. All right. It's um, and the the Bresse region is uh, one one of partly from the, the Comté production of Comté, which is most of the Jura and a small part of the. Uh, the, the breast and the um, the structure of the soil there you have you have quite a lot of uh, rain but you have a lot of sun as well so that makes rich uh, grass actually and that's a good thing when you want to make uh, cream and butter as well and there is good butter production there as well you know I wanted to take just a couple more minutes of your time and um, ask you to walk us through one or two of those tastings that you just did with us a couple of the surprising ones were you paired a beer you paired a beer with one of the cheeses and then one of the more surprising ones too for me was the Jura with the Comte I don't know but please speak speak to any of them that um, well I can speak about both <laughs> uh, actually it's getting new it's more uh, fashionable nowadays to use all the things that wine to pair with cheese and actually beer uh, is a good solution and the producer of that beer is uh, from the um, actually from Paris uh, they have their own uh, brewery how do you call that the brewery right in in Paris it's called Deck and Donoe and they use actually a lot that would please the American people they use a lot the spirit of American making of beer which is uh, quite different from the very traditional not 
necessarily moving out of the beaten path uh, European way of making uh, beer. And uh, they took that spirit in a way and they would make those beer. And the, the, the beer uh, paired with Marwal, which is a washed rind cheese from the north of France, is actually nice. It's, um, I don't know the names in English for the uh, talking about beer, but um, it's not a very dark. It's, uh, uh, we say ambre in, uh, in, in French to talk about that beer. And you have a nice combination between the two, actually. Yeah, it's not as dark as a, as a Guinness, but it's definitely not a blonde. It's almost like a brown beer. Brown, yeah, I think that's the word brown, brown beer, yeah. Voilà. It was a wonderful pairing. And now, um, t t tell us, too, a little bit about the, um, well, you, you actually, one of the ones, too, that was interesting is you paired a moron, a wine. You might want to talk about that, because I think that's from where you're, you're from, right? Yeah, yeah that's, uh, my, uh, that's my uh, baby, my, my baby pairing. <laughs> the, the cheese is from uh, Burgundy. It's a washed rind cheese, which is washed with uh, salted water mixed with brandy. It's a local brandy called the Mar de Bourgogne. And I would pair it with a Morgon. Uh, usually Morgon, Morgon is a Gamay uh, type of grape. It's uh, not usually a wine that you age quite a long time, but this one is very traditionally made and is aged for 12 years. And when you pair it, you start by smelling at the cheese and you smell chocolate and you smell a bit of nuts. And once you've paired the wine and you keep tasting the cheese by during the retronasal smell, which is kind of it's, the, it's, the, it's a wine tasting way of tasting the wine but you also use it for the cheese and you finish with foie gras taste it's amazing amazing it's so true like when you had it, when you had that a mouthful of the wine and or a sip of the wine and then a bite of the cheese it did it became it became like foie gras which was so and then also you pointed out to us it's not just any vintage it was the 2004 yeah, the, the funny thing is it's only working with the 2004. I have uh, other vintages, but that doesn't really work. Uh, I hope that uh, the vintages that I will have, once it would get up to 12 years old, it will do as the same, I hope, because otherwise the pairing would just disappear. You know? <laughs> Well, now this was so fascinating and really uh, enlightening, honestly, you know, f for me. And I've tasted a lot of cheeses and done pairings, but the ones that you suggested to us today were very, very unique and very revealing. If we want to learn more about all this, how can we, what, what website can we go to? Um, you go on Parole de Fromager, which is, the translation is the voice of cheesemakers. If you type voice of cheesemaker, you will not find it. It's more Parole de Fromager. And we have uh, set up a, a tasting room in the 17th century aging cellar of the cheese shop, which is in the Marais, in the center of Paris. Um, in there, we welcome uh, everyone. As I speak English, I'm happy to welcome English-speaking people and uh, to organize cheese and wine tasting and pairing. Voilà. And you can see the aging cellar, the different stages of aging. Uh, that's a very good way to um, discover, I would say, the, uh, um, the art of what is affinage, what is maturing the cheese, uh, enjoy pairings, and uh, you, it's a good way to discover uh, cheese and wine. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, and I'll have all that information um, for, for our listeners. Thank you so much, Pierre. You're welcome. Thank you. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine with me, your host, Paige Donner, here on World Radio Paris. <laughs> so, Paige, tell me about this new app of yours. I'm really excited to hear what it is and what it, what it does. 
Thanks, Laurel. That's sweet of you to ask. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I am really excited. It's the first app I've ever launched. And I, I had it up on beta on the App Store on Apple for since January. And then I was kind of playing around, um, you know, tweaking with it, with the content and the pro programming it and seeing what, what works best. And so last week, I just actually launched it on Google Play. So now it's on like a whole bunch more, like 8,000 more other devices. Wow. So I'm glad I had like the three months to, to tweak it because what, it, what Paris Food and Wine, the app is, it's a resource for people, primarily for people who are visiting the city, you know, who are looking to kind of dive right into the food and wine scene here in Paris. And, um, but even though it's for visitors, it doesn't mean it's just for Anglophones. Um, I'm, I'm still amping up, it's mostly, it's primarily in English now, but I'm amping up more and more the other languages um, and yeah, it can be, it can, I know that I live in a very touristy part of town. I live in the fifth um, where I see so many people and they, they look so lost. Uh, it's, it's very clear. There's a, there's a row of restaurants, one of and they are, could be amazing and they could be terrible and they just don't seem to, to know. So it's really kind of a nice thing because in a city, especially that's really well known for food to have kind of a, an idea of where to, where to point. So is it, do you really kind of do rest? Tell me a little bit about how it works. Yeah, well, we still, still kind of, um, you know, still kind of tweaking things. Um, but yeah, when you can go by category. So you can go, you can look for restaurants, or you can look for bars, or you can look for cafes. And that problem that you sort of just, you know, illustrated, I think it does happen to a lot, a lot of us, even when you live in the city. You know, it's like you have a free moment and then, you know, you have brunch and it's like, now where can I go for brunch this Sunday where the kids are going to have a place to play? You know, so it's, it's, all, it's like having that kind of information right at your fingertips that I, I think is really, is really useful and really important. And also we're integrating something, um, there are lots of websites out there that offer people tips, you know, go to this restaurant because it's better than that restaurant or something. And that's very useful because as you just pointed out, when you have, when you have one dinner to go to or two lunches and two dinners while, during your stay in the city or something, you want to go to a place where you're going to get value for your money, you're going to enjoy the ambiance, you're not going to feel like it's wasted time or wasted money, so that's important. But we're also integrating a feature whereby um, we're partnering up with restaurants and bars and cafes and hotels even too, and also like um, excursions and things like that, so that people through the app can get exclusive offers. So say you want to go on a, on a bike tour and a picnic. If you book it through the Paris Food and Wine app, you'll be able to get either, you know, priority um, reservation or um, you'll be able to get some kind of a, maybe a discount or a deal or some, something like that. So we're working with each um, client individually, but we're integrating value adds into the, into the content so that it's more than just, um, it's more than just like a tip, like, you know, this place is better than that or, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, here's a value add. Here's an incentive for you to actually try out this place. This restaurateur, this cafe owner, this bar owner, you know, wants to invite you in to have the uh, signature I love Paris cocktail or something like that. I think, I think it's a really amazing thing as well coming from you specifically because you have a very... Uh, 
your insight into this kind of things. Whereas TripAdvisor is great. Things like that are awesome, but you don't really know who's reviewing. Whereas this is kind of your gig. You're kind of like a really professional restaurant review. Like you kind of know your stuff when it comes to reviewing restaurants and looking at what's good and what's bad and being able to size up a place and really explain based on your background. Um, is that, has that something that has come into play a little bit with, with this? Can you tell us a little bit about why you're the best person to be doing this? Go on, go on. Oh, you're going to blush. Go on. <laughs> That's so sweet, That's so sweet Laurel. Th- thanks for all the, all the kudos. Um, yeah, well, you know, I've spent the last six years basically writing about Paris, you know, for every, everybody from Fodor's to most recently USA Today, uh, whom I actually do still work for, though I don't integrate any of the 10 best content yet on the app. That may be something in the future that happens, or, or maybe not. It's still it's to be seen. But still, yeah, definitely, I do know the lay of the land. I do know what's worthwhile. And I also do know how to maximize your stay while you're in the city, you know, because on average, people are here three or four days, and they want to make every moment count. It's all about experience. Yeah, it sure is, yeah. So while it's still free, download the app Paris Food and Wine today. (laughs) Yay! Yeah, there's science, there's alchemy, there's magic. Thanks for joining us for this half hour of Paris Good Food and Wine. Myself, Paige Donner, and the rest of the team look forward to seeing you again here for the next episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. Because it's oh so good. Ah, voila. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.